Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 43 of the Comfort Films podcast. This week, we're doing something completely different. We are still on our summer theme, but this time, friends, we're doing an animated film, and that film is the Bob's Burgers movie. Yay! Yay is right! It's no mystery that this is my favorite show, because I've said it like 700 times. And it's great because you got me into it. I don't think I would have watched it on my own. Like, I usually don't search out new television shows for some yeah, reason. I, for me, it is a matter of kind of having something just to have on. Yeah. Because I like the comfort of that. So there's different sitcoms and TV shows that I rewatch when I really am not necessarily paying attention. But Bob's Burgers has kind of transcended that and become something that I just rewatch. Like when I'm doing the dishes, I've got it on my iPad. When I just need a break from everything, I just sit down and put on a Bob's Burgers if I only have you know, half an hour or something. And they just don't get old. They just don't get old to me. I love the show. I love the characters. They make me laugh all the time. Um, I have to say that wasn't the case from the beginning. Um, I don't know what it is about us, but sometimes we'll start watching a show and we'll be like, yeah, I don't know, not for me, right? Because this happened to us with Bob's. It also happened to us with Shit's Creek. Where we watched the first episode and we were like, hmm, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Then for whatever reason, <laughs> we ended up watching it again later and just inhaled the entire series in like, you know, two days. And that's kind of what happened with Bob's and Shits. I like Shits. We all like Shits. We all like Shits. <laughs> Of course we do. You know, I like a good, smooth good. Schitt's Creek. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. From the beginning, yeah, Schitt's Creek just didn't appeal to us. It was all people that we love. Yeah. You know, it was Eugene Levy, and I think this is my favorite role that he ever had. And I love Catherine O'Hara putting the two of them together. Oh, it's magic, and Dan Levy, and I can go through the whole cast. But this is not about Schitt's Creek. This is about the Bob's Burgers movie. And yes, the Bob's Burgers movie is something where I feel like they're our friends. And I think it's because it's like you really introduced me to them. So it's a lot like, hey, guess what? Our friends are here. And you're like, oh, yeah. You know, and I found who I was like in the group. <laughs> yeah. You know, I really have like a gene component <laughs> inside of me. Definitely. You know, right? I believe in the super bowel, you know? <laughs> I think that's what drew me to the show um, when I tried it again. So, like, the first time again, I was like, yeah, I don't know. The second time, I kind of was sick, and I was lying on the couch, and I put it on, because I do like, like, animation kind of shows. And I think I kind of fell asleep during one of the episodes, and when I woke up, it was this episode where Tina goes to... <laughs> This guy, Gyro, to learn capoeira. Oh, yes. And it's, I think the episode is called Sexy Dance Fighting. And it was, like, so funny to me that I just fell in love with the show. And I love Tina. Tina is my person. I am so much like Tina 
from way back. Like my adolescent years are so awkward and Tina-esque. Um, and I just loved it. And then the more you watch it, I think you find parts of yourself and other people too. I mean, like I would have said uh, nothing like Linda, but then there's like a whole theme in this that actually does cast me kind of in the Linda part. Absolutely. You I know, mean, that was with one... optimism. Yes. That, that's the biggest thing with Linda is she's an eternal optimist. And I love seeing that because Bob is over the falls. You know, he's <laughs> not doing well. And there's that piece very deep into the film where Linda actually gives up. Yeah. You know, when they're underground, they're in the car. She's like, we're done. And Bob is like, no, you can't give up. Because you were the person that never gives up, and I'm the one that gives up all the time, you know? <laughs> and then he has this feeling, this is so me, that's like, oh my God, that must be terrible with me giving up all the time. You probably want to divorce me. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I'll stick it out. I'll stick it out. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, I just, that made me laugh so hard, because usually I'm kind of like a Bob also, like I'm kind of like the doom and gloom. Um, when it comes to myself, anyway, I'm like, oh, everything's so terrible. I have IBS now, like all this <laughs> stuff. But yeah, when it comes to like my role in our marriage, I think I am like the optimist who's like, oh, everything's going to be good and you got to have a dream and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. You're yeah. the person that would put up the sign that said, please enter through the scenic alley. <laughs> yeah. So I do want to say, like, you know, I think we used to say this more than we do now about spoilers um but this is a newer movie and there is a mystery element to this film so if you haven't had a chance to see it yet please do go check it out before you listen to the show um we love having you but we don't want to spoil you because this movie is so much fun um that you really need to watch it fresh um without really knowing what what happened so you can enjoy the whole the whole thing well, it's a mystery. That's what's yeah. so wonderful about it is the structure of this film. And this is not a giveaway because this is literally the opening of the film. The opening of the film is you see a silhouette of two people arguing and you hear a gunshot. <laughs> and, you know, this is Bob's Burgers. We're used to, you know, this nice neighborhood, these brightly painted buildings, right? The happy song. We're, we're not used to murder, but we go from murder... Okay, directly to this image of a burger flipping. <laughs> and then, you know, we're in the restaurant. We're at Bob's Burgers. Now, thank you for saying the spoiler thing, because this is one of the connections I thought about. The body is actually buried in front of the restaurant. So we see the murder. Then we cut directly to the restaurant. And that body is outside that's true and it's been outside for all 11 seasons of the show oh my god if you think about it because oh the show is very much tied to the uh the movie for the last season of the show the uh sidewalk in front of the <laughs> in front of the restaurant keeps getting progressively more cracked and I believe in the very last episode of, of last season, Tina like kind of tripped over it outside. And, and of course, we see Teddy trip um, <laughs> at the beginning of this movie. What a doof. Which is great. We, we love Teddy so much. He's 
so amazing. Um, but he trips over it and <laughs> totally, you know, takes the header. And then he comes in and is like, oh, the sidewalk's messed up. I, I just saw somebody trip. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, this has so many great things that the, the TV show also does, like the musical number. And that's a funny thing. Like, I actually have seen this now, like, four times. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're a little bit obsessed. Sorry. Uh, but, yeah, I don't always remember the opening scene with, like, the struggle and the gunshot. Because they instantly then go into this awesome, like, you know, positive, this is going to be the sunny side up summer of our lives. Right. Musical number. Which is, you know, overwhelmingly positive for the most part, except for, like, Louise. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of, like, wipes out that, that opening a little bit for me. And I forget until later. Well, that makes complete sense. I mean, it's it's very easy to forget that part. And I had the same experience. When I went back, because I watched again as early as this morning... <laughs> I was like, whoa, like, you know, it's like it's very scary and we're very happy to get back to the family. We didn't sign up for this. You know, (laughs) this is where we go to escape our problems. You know, this is not where we have like serious criminal activity on our minds. This is not like law and order. Bob's (laughs) unit. Law and order. Um, Yeah, I think that that's like a big facet of the movie is that. It does get a chance to go to places that the show doesn't go, while at the same time, like, really playing up to the hilt some of the things that the show always does great. And it's just a good experience for a fan to watch, I think, because it also looks amazing. That was the biggest thing. We went through all of the special features, and they talked so much about the look of the film and what they did to make it different. And there was a major difference with the lighting because you can see the light through the trees and you could see that on the buildings. And it really gives you a feeling of time, place, depth. And we're dealing with 2D animation, which is wonderful. Yes. You know, it's what we grew up with. I love it. You know, I do too. It's classic and it feels good and comfortable and we're all about comfortable right it's the mm-hmm. name of our podcast it makes you comfortable to see something like that and they were able to kind of elevate it by adding this lighting element that they don't really have as much in the show and then the other difference that i really felt was that they changed the line weight so usually it's a little bit heavier and on the in the movie it's a little bit lighter and so everything has kind of a to me sharper kind of appearance to where it is kind of jumping off of the screen a little bit more um even though it's not 3d they're not doing any crazy stuff like that i felt like the line weight combined with the light created depth yeah it's well okay <laughs> the line weight is never anything that I would have picked up on. You know, I'm not uh, very experienced with, with animation. And learning about all of the work that went into the animation and the extensive special features with Bernard Derriman, who was the co-director of the film with Lauren Bouchard, Derriman is like a genius. It's brilliant. Yeah. 
He really is. I mean, I highly, highly recommend if you've only seen this in the theater so far or, you know, if you just watched it on a streaming service or something, maybe consider getting the Blu-ray or buying it on Vudu or wherever you can get, like, the features with it. Yeah. Because the features are so amazing. You get to see, you know, these people working through drawing um, these scenes. So, like, there's a, a particular scene that I'm thinking about where Louise is trying to go pick up this fuse before it makes, you know, the whole pier explode. And... They were just going to have her, like, grabbing the fuse. But Bernard Derriman, like, goes through this whole process of envisioning what she's doing, like, behind this thing that she's hanging off of. It's like a car, like a amusement park car. You don't see any of it in the final picture. But he's drawing all that so that he has a sense of what's going on behind the blocked image so that when he's when he illustrates her jumping up over the top of it he knows what she would have been doing the moment before which is like an acting thing yeah like when we're doing you know uh self tapes for john for auditions we're always thinking about the moment before because that helps you get into character and you kind of feel where you were before the scene started and it kind of grounds you right and they're doing the same thing with drawing this animation i just thought that was insane it is and it's like he thought through the entire range of motion he talked about needing to know what the end mark was so that he could know how to get there and when you see all these dizzying layers of animation which I, I am not going to pretend to understand, but the best way I can explain it is that these images are roughly drawn like a pencil drawing, and then they're put into the computer, and you're able to look at what the last step back was and the next step forward based on the color of the outline. And they go into more detail with the character after they have the basic movement down. Yeah. It's so amazing to really be able to see behind the scenes of what they are doing with this animation. Because it is just an unbelievably huge amount of work. Um, but it all comes together so well in the end that it's, it's kind of hard to think about how much work went into it. Yeah, I couldn't imagine the hours spent. And you can tell how much everyone is dedicated to the project. And it's beyond money. It's something where they care about their work so much that they want to put out the absolute best product that they can. They said that they would be seeing screenings of the finished film and still taking notes. Yeah. They were still taking notes, and they actually got most of those notes taken care of. <laughs> yeah. Because that's how dedicated they are. But then it was funny because they were saying, like, while they were watching it during the audio commentary recording, they still were saying things that they wish they had fixed. And, I mean, I understand that because, you know, I'm a perfectionist. You're a perfectionist. Sure. So I can understand that. But it's it's like I would never have thought about it. It's like I wouldn't have noticed it because it really comes together so well. Um, the image is great. The story is great. 
you have these characters that you know and you love so much and they're still true to themselves. Yeah. And each one of them kind of has like a little mini arc of their own in addition to the overall story arc of the movie. And I just think that it's such an unbelievably great achievement. And I'm really glad that we decided to talk about this one. Me too. There was so much. The music. They talked about how the people involved are not necessarily musicians. They just went with what they felt. And in this, they were able to bring in these horns and this massive orchestration and just make it into this epic film. They talk so much about how Bob's Burgers is meant to be small. The television show, they always want to pare it down and make it a smaller vision and a smaller story. But this time around, they want to actually make it as large as they possibly can to justify being on a film screen, you know, in a movie theater. Yeah, and I mean, I think they just definitely achieve that. It does feel bigger than the show. Mm. Um, and I just think, you know, I love it. I think these people are pretty much brilliant and can do no wrong. I mean, I love the show. I'm always going to watch this. And the movie for me now is just like an extra thing that I get to have in addition to this awesome show that I've been watching for years. Well, it's it's been on 10 plus seasons, right? Yeah, there have actually been 12 seasons. Wow. Um, and season 13 is scheduled to start in about a month, actually. Yeah. Uh, September 25th will be the first episode of season 13. And I can't wait because I've been sad ever since the last season ended. It's like I get 22, 23 episodes a year and it's like not enough. But, you know, I'm going to rewatch all of them like six times. So it's fine. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's like when you have your program and this is your program, you need that fix. And, And there is so much time covered. But just like The Simpsons, right, our people don't age. We're at a fixed point, (laughs) right? But somehow it still feels new. What I think about is, like, I don't know if this is in any way is what happens. I I don't think so because we get different school years. I like to think about it like we are literally seeing every day in their life. And it does feel like that. I got to tell you, like, it did freak me out when I realized that I'm watching the show, you know, year after year after year, and they have a Thanksgiving episode year after year after year, and a Christmas episode year after year after year, and they never get older or change age, so not all of these things can be happening. So I had, like, a huge, like, crisis of faith or something (laughs) when I thought about that, but now I've moved on, and I've just accepted that it's okay. And, you know, it's kind of like just imagining that this is a Bob's Burgers multiverse and, you know, there's different versions of Bob's family in all these different universes. So you can imagine that each one of the Thanksgiving episodes is from a different universe. (laughs) I'm going quantum (laughs) with Bob's to solve my problems with the temporal issue. Well, I have something that will support that. Do you remember when they allowed all of the fan art to come in? Yes. And so they changed it, I don't remember how many times, in the single episode? It was a bunch, yeah. I loved that. It was a really creative episode. Yeah. I mean, it, I've watched that one many times because it it's just so different and crazy to see like other people um, interpret it. And there's also a lot of fan art online. 
of of bobs where they're like combining characters with other fandoms and things like that and i love it i can't get enough of it like the bob's burgers instagram has fan art fridays and they like put up really cool stuff so i encourage people to check that out if you're into the show um it's just it's just so much fun i'm always like doing something bob's burgers related it's either this or star trek those are like my two big fandoms and yeah i have way too much you know collectible stuff from both of these things it's like that's the only thing i own though like i really don't have anything else i just have bob's burger stuff and star trek stuff and clothes to wear to work <laughs> period that's it it's all i need just like on the jerk well, I'm an enabler. I, I love to get you things that you like. Yeah. And I will get you Bob's Burger clothing, journals, cups, dolls, Funko, whatever. I will just That's be true. on top of it. Games. Because of games. Yes. Yeah. Wow. The little, the little keychain clips. Yeah. Yeah. Everything I have Bob's, you've pretty much bought for me. I want you to have it. Yeah. Because as a kid, I like had all my toys and there was a one room in the house that was not really used for anything. It wasn't my bedroom. There was a weight bench in it, and it was empty. And my father had his clothes in there to change. That was it. So this entire room was my kingdom. <laughs> and I had all of the play sets. You know, I had Star Wars. I had G.I. Joe. I had Mask. That's going way back. People are like, <laughs> what the hell is Mask? Mask was a very cool cartoon that revolved around these cars that could like interchange you know yeah right I, I never heard of it so that's cool yeah like i had voltron you know i had he-man i had ghostbusters i had wwf dolls we could go on and on but like <laughs> that was just like this crazy world that i built in this room i would take all these play sets and i would have all of these different characters there that really you know, shouldn't be there. Like, you know, like if you put, if you put like a, you know, a WWF doll, you know, like one of those big like Hulk Hogan, you know, because what, what was that? Maybe eight inches. You know? Yeah, those were big. <laughs> those were nuts. And if you try to put that like on a Star Wars playset, you have like a giant, you know, <laughs> it's a cool timeline. That's but a pretty great idea. It was fantastic. And it's like, I want it, you know, I don't know. I like to give that experience and that, that's what I'm trying to do. So you can have the playroom that I had that fueled my <laughs> imagination. Yeah, we need like a, a new apartment with a spare room just for toys. Oh, yeah. Just for Bob's Burgers, Star Trek. You have... Your stuff. You have your Jabba. Oh, yeah. From Star Wars. It's so funny that, like, Jabba the Hutt is something that I think of as, like, a cool person. <laughs> when he's the worst, he's not a good person. Well, we'll uh, save that for when we do Jedi. Yeah, we'll save it for then. Because, we'll like, save it for now then. everybody's going to be wondering, why does John like Jabba? And they'll just have to stick around and find out. Da-da-da. <laughs> We're message john if you've got such a burning need to know <laughs> the secrets the other thing that i want to talk about is the structure of the film and in the commentary both norris smith and lauren bouchard the writers said that they didn't want to use any books on screenwriting and they had never written a movie 
they've been writing this television show for years. You know, they've been working on it and they have a great working relationship. But I find that what they wrote was strong. I mean, everything moves the story forward from the very beginning. You know, we have our hook with the murder. We get straight to the restaurant. Right. And we find out all the kids have anxiety like Bob. Yeah. About their specific issues. And that's what I love about this so much is like, and this is what you're getting at, I think, is the structure of this is so well done Mm -hmm. that, you know, again, we have this overarching murder mystery story, which itself is well done. I mean, that has to be plotted. We've written a mystery play, and it was hard. (laughs) I mean, we know how difficult it is to make a simple kind of mystery seem complicated and also explain it well enough. And I think that they did a great job on that. And then to also be able to have these subplots going on is pretty Herculean. Yes. I mean, the show structure usually tends to be that they have an A plot and a B plot going on. So there'll be an A plot that revolves around, you know, one of the characters having some kind of an issue that has to be worked out and it kind of rotates and they kind of almost give equal time to all the characters, which I love. And then they'll have a B plot. So the characters who aren't involved in the main plot will have, you know, something else that they're trying to figure out. A lot of times, The A-plot will be the three kids having something going on, or they're in the talent show, or they (laughs) wrote stories, or whatever. And then the B-plot is that Linda and Bob are trying to do something, too. You know, and then everything kind of resolves at the end, or everything kind of comes to a head together. It's it's really usually pretty well done, even just show to show. But to be able to take that type of format... And translate it into a much more complicated, longer format. I think they did a really good job. It's fantastic. The big thing in this that I didn't mention is the bank. They're behind. You know, they need to pay the bank. So we have a time clock on us from the very beginning. You know, so we go from the murder and then we're in the restaurant. They're concerned about paying the bank. How, yeah, how are they going to come up with the loan payment for the month is, is, is what's on their mind. And there's a lot of fear. You know, Bob is terrified. As usual. As usual. You know, and we actually have Linda bringing up the spirits with the sunny side up summer of our lives. The sunny side up summer of our lives. Thank you. I'm like, sunny side up uh, two little... sausage. Uh, orange juice. We're not at breakfast, John. It's okay. <laughs> okay. We're not ordering food at a diner. We're doing the podcast. Look after me, Georgia. <laughs> I know sometimes you just start ordering breakfast out of the blue. Yeah, in the middle of the night, I'll get up and I'll just be like, give me the lumberjack special. <laughs> yeah. You'll be like, lumberjack special. Two pancakes, two sausage. Yeah. You love breakfast. So they got you from the beginning singing about eggs. Well, they talk about... (laughs) They talk about that. And then what kills me is the song is so bright that Linda brings to us. 
And Bob talks about diarrhea. <laughs> you know, he talks about it at the beginning as well as at the end. And I find myself singing that song, even though I can't say the title, as, as you know. I, I'm like really happy and I want to do that big the big Linda. dance, the dan the Linda dance with her arms swinging up. I love it. I do too. It's it's like she's so happy. I love Linda. I love Linda. I love Linda. She's so exuberant. You just have to. Like yeah. Linda is always having a good time. I love it. She's never you can't Linda's never down. No. You know? I mean, occasionally she gets depressed about something or whatever, but she really doesn't, like, let it show. She's very bright side oriented. And she also has a quality that I really envy, which is she doesn't have a lot of self-consciousness about things, you no. know? Like, if she spells something on herself, she's like, ah, what are you going to do, you know? She doesn't care. She doesn't care what anybody thinks. She is who she is, and I think it's great. And, I mean, Jean is kind of like her mini-me a little bit with that. You know, Jean is like a born performer. He just is always quipping all the time and having, like, these hilarious one-liners that just feels like he's copying off her, I don't know, RuPaul's Drag Race or something. <laughs> like, I feel like Jean watches a lot of Drag Race Absolutely. and other kind of, you know, shows like this. Because he's he's always saying something hilarious and silly. And, you know, he loves music. Like, that's his thing. He wants to play it. He doesn't care. You know, if he of course, he wants people to like it. But even if nobody liked it, he would still be doing it. Because that's Gene. Yeah, he's a very creative kid. And when you see the problems with the anxiety in these kids that stem from, I feel like, the actual bank issue. I don't know if it, it's discussed with them. Is it discussed with them? It's in front of them. I mean, they're very aware that their family is not well off. Yeah, yeah. There's always something going on like that where we need the money. Yeah, and and, and they work in the restaurant. I mean, you know, this is, this is one thing, again, that I really love about the show and the movie, is we're dealing with a regular family with regular problems, you know, they're doing their best to run this restaurant, which is not some super successful thing. You know, it's Bob grinding out great food, you know, and having all these inspirations for new kinds of burgers. But, you know, they're not Michelin star restaurant. You know, they're still kind of like a little burger place. And I think that's just great. I love it because they're a regular family. They really love each other you know, in spite of all their, you know, weirdness. And it's like we're kind of in on it, too. It's like we're part of this family, and I I just love it. Yeah, we want to see them succeed. So at the very beginning, Bob is hard at work on his new burger because he wants to wow the person at the bank yes. to give them an extension. And it's... I love that he makes a test burger and he whispers it because he doesn't want the burger to feel bad. Yes. And then he pets it. Like, it's so good. And then, you know, he puts all this work in and, you know, we go through the song, the sunny song, I'll call it. <laughs> you know, and it's this really bright song about, hey, everything's going to work out. It's going to be great. And, you know, it's just like, okay, there might be some things happening, but you feel that through the spirit of the song and honestly through Linda's just sunny 
I don't even have a word that's bright enough for Linda. She calls herself unstoptimistic. Yes. So it's like she's unstoppable optimism, and that's super right. It's right there. It it does come to a dead halt, though, when they get to the bank. Yeah. Because the person at the bank, they don't eat meat. <laughs> well, he's trying to cut back, <laughs> so he doesn't want the... He's trying to eat less meat, which comes back great in the next scene or two because Teddy comes in and is like, hey, how'd it go with the loan extension? I'm sure it got approved. I'm going to get t-shirts made. You want one? Like, Teddy is going to wear a t-shirt that says loan extension or something. I mean, he's crazy and we love it. And, of course, when he says this, you know... (laughs) Like, Bob, like, pokes his head out of the kitchen. It's like, he's eating less meat about the banker guy. So, he's so mad. That part made me laugh so hard every single time. Um, but, yeah, this this banker is not on board. He's not having an unstoptimistic, sunny-side-up summer of our lives at all. No, he won't even take the fries. No. He won't even take the fries. What kind of satanic person doesn't eat fries? Ugh. <sighs> It's just so cold and detached, and it's just such a drop. It's just like, seriously, it's like a steep drop off the highest cliff, you know, because we're flying high off of the song, and then boom. And then we're back at the restaurant. Everything's horrible. They have seven days to come up with however much money this is, Mm -hmm. and that's like an unachievable thing, pretty much. It's, yeah, you don't think it's going to happen, but Linda manages to rally the troops again. Yep, she still keeps going, and Teddy, too, actually. Teddy and Teddy's right there with her. He's like, you know, it's the Octa-Warf-aversary coming up, so there's going to be more foot traffic. Uh, what, what, foot with mouth? What is it? And Linda says, yeah, and feet have mouths. <laughs> and then Teddy's like, yeah, feet mouth. <laughs> Oh, I mean, Teddy is such a good character because it's Bob's best friend and he loves Linda. Like, I think that nothing would make Teddy happier than just being in a thruple with Bob and Linda. Like, and he would pretty much bold faced, you know, bold faced tell you that. And, you know, because anytime there's an opportunity for him to get closer (laughs) The two of them, you know, it's great. I mean, he makes that street meat. Yes, you know? he makes the, the cart, the food cart. That says Bob Burger. Bob on. Burgers. He thought Bob's last name was Burgers. Well, I don't even think it has an S, George. I think it literally Bob says... Bob Burger. <laughs> yeah, I think it says Bob Burger, unless maybe it gets wiped. But... No, you, you could be right. But it, it, there was an episode where he kept saying Bob Burger for Bob Burgers because he thought that was Bob's name. That's good. And I, it's really good. I'm super glad that came back because it's hilarious. I mean, yeah, I think that's a, really funny. But yeah, Teddy is like somehow like in love with Linda, but also like Bob is his best friend. Bob is not sure if Teddy is his best friend, but he should just give up because it is. I mean, Teddy's his best friend and Teddy is so hilarious. He just wants to be like part of the family. He just wants to be, you know, I mean, I guess this is why we like Teddy so much. Because I think we all kind of want to be part of the family a little bit. 
Yeah. I mean, you want to be with the people that you care about, you know, and you spend so much time with people, you just feel like it naturally. Like, hey, I'm part of this, you yeah. know? Yeah. I... I can never say enough good things about that character. I adore the fact that we found out in the commentary that H. John Benjamin, who plays Bob, actually went to karaoke with Larry Murphy, who plays Teddy. Yeah, like the real, yeah, the real voice of Bob and voice of Teddy are like hanging out together. You can't beat that. I think we would just flip out if we saw this in real life because it's just like Bob and Teddy are hanging out. I would do something crazy, like, you know, I would be like, all the drinks are on the house. Like, <laughs> it's not even my bar. But, you know, I would just be so amped up. I, I would be like, ah, you know, I, I would go, I would go wild. You would just pull a full Teddy. Really. I would. Yeah. I, I Maybe I could out Teddy Teddy. I think that's another thing with, like, the characters is that I want to say, like, of course, you and Gene are, like, very similar. I think oh, that's yeah. probably your number one comparison person. Um, and I think I've, I've talked to other friends who are guys who have said that, like, they feel like they really relate to Gene, too. Like, they really felt like they were a lot like him when they were kids. So I think Gene has that, like, heavy-duty, like, little boy kind of energy. But I think that you can see a little bit of yourself in just about everyone. So, like, you definitely have some Teddy oh, yeah. as well. You definitely have some Louise. Mm-hmm. Like, Louise has that chaotic energy that I think you're kind of, you know, tapping into sometimes. Like, she loves to cause a slight amount of trouble, you know. Well, do you, do you think I should tell the bank story? Uh, Yeah, I definitely think you should. Okay, so here is the bank story. Uh, when I was a young kid, I was 10 years old, I went to the bank with my mother. And back in those days, when you went to the bank... It was just like this really long day, you know. I'm not sure what business my mother had at the bank, but she had to talk to someone, and they really had to get into it. So I was left alone in the lobby of this bank with nothing to do. But I saw, you know, all of the deposit slips, and I saw a pen. And so I just had this great idea that what I would do is write swear words down on every single slip. I couldn't believe I made it through the entire stack, but I did. And I wrote everything. <laughs> okay. So, you know, now it's like the trap is set. I, I'm on the other side of the bank. I'm waiting. You know, this woman comes. <laughs> this woman comes in. Okay. She goes over to the counter. Okay. And she sees the first horrible thing that I wrote. And so she just peels it off the stack. Then she sees another one. She does it again. She sees another one. Then she picks up half of the stack (laughs) and moves it. And of course, you know, I still had a surprise there too. (laughs) I I fell over laughing. Um, I'm not sure that this woman thought, you know, that this little kid wrote out all of this foul stuff. On all of these slips, but I couldn't stop laughing. It was like my favorite practical joke (laughs) of all time. That's one of my favorite stories you've ever told me, because I could just envision this woman's just complete disdain that this was written on these bank slips. And then she's like, 
And then she like lifts up the whole pile and it's still there at the bottom. Yeah. <sighs> she finally like got in line to talk to a teller. And it was just so good. It was so good. <laughs> the reaction was so good. I, I don't know that I've ever laughed that hard in my life. That's great. Yeah. I love it. That's such a Louise move. Mm-hmm. Like, she definitely would do that. Absolutely. So I definitely think of you with Louise as well. And I think of you with Linda, too. Because Linda, just something about her sense of humor and kind of, like, the way that she doesn't care sometimes really makes me think of you too because you sometimes can have with your sense of humor in particular you can be like super offbeat and it's just like your own thing but it's hilarious Mm. and i feel like that's linda too um and then of course you know bob i agree that that one scene where you know he's like oh you can't give up (laughs) you know and then he realizes how suck it must be for linda and says do you want to get a divorce yeah. I felt like that could have been just a page out of our life because it's so funny and so real. Yeah. And I just, I love it. I love it. And of course, I have a little bit of all of them probably in me too. But again, Tina is so much like me that I don't even, like, sometimes I'm like, am I being spied on? Like, we'd been watching the show for years and always talked about, you know, things that Tina does. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Because the thing with me is I can comfortably from a distance laugh at your story about the deposit slips, but I would never have done something like that. Like I was like the little rule follower kid and that's what Tina's like. Like anytime they're doing anything that could get them in trouble, Tina's just like, uh, 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 and that's like me. Like she's like hyperventilating that they're like breaking the rules or something. So it's funny because like I feel like I'm like that. But also, I, you know, we were just watching it. You know, we'd been watching it for years. And some episode comes on where, like, Tina is in bed trying to sleep, like, in the parents' bed or something. And she's just, like, bucking around. And it's, like, talking about how she has restless leg syndrome. And I'm like, okay, enough. Enough. Like, I need to start getting paid. Because they're just copying my life now. <laughs> I mean, there's a great episode that is kind of about how Tina's friends are kind of shallow and lame. And, you know, Bob ends up taking her to this movie that is kind of like, a, you know, Bob's Burgers World version of Rocky Horror Picture Show. And they kind of bond over this. It's something that he watched and it made him feel cool, you know, and he thought it would help her. And she's not really sure if she's into it, but it really reminded me of myself and my stepdad. And kind of the relationship that we had, my stepdad, Joel, um, who was my stepdad when I was in high school. And, you know, I had, you know, issues with friends and changing schools and being a super nerd and like all these kind of things. And sometimes there are times when I really felt like I didn't fit in. And my stepdad and I had a lot of talks about that and he really made me feel better about it. So that episode was just so amazing, and I loved it. And I see myself and Tina and Bob both a lot. I mean, <laughs> I think in, like, the very first season, you know, is that saying that he has this, like, I love you all, but you're terrible. And, like, that's me with my entire family at all times. <laughs> you know, so I can really relate to Bob. And I just, I don't know, that's why I just love this. 
I know this is gonna be the boringest show ever because it's just me like yelling about how much I love Bob's Burgers for like an hour and a half but I do I really love it <laughs> and I just think the movie is great you know and I was afraid I think that that's a natural thing like when you're super into something that you know if they make a movie of a show or or if like they make a movie of a book that you love you know that it's gonna be crappy you know <laughs> And you're like, oh, man, I hope they don't drop the ball. And they did not drop any ball with this movie. It's great. I wish they had gotten to do every single character and every single thing that they probably imagined from the beginning. But, of course, you can't do that. You have to cut things. And, you know, that's why we have the show, too, because you can always watch the show and see the characters that you missed in the movie. But I just I love what they did with it. I think it's a really good job. Well, you can tell it's very successful because each viewing, I find something new that I take out that I like about what they've done. And I really can relate with every single character is something you can relate to if we're dealing with our core group. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, with Bob, yeah. <laughs> with Bob, I really feel him... Like, when I get up early in the morning and I have something to do that I don't want to do, but I have to do it, that's, like, when I feel, like, my most Bob. You know, <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God, I got to get up. I got to do this. The night before, oh, my God, tomorrow I got to get up. I got to do this. You know, that's when I, I, I feel my Bob. And Linda, for me, I love how much she doesn't care. And I, you know, sometimes have that, but then sometimes can be really self-conscious. I don't make any sense as a person. Uh, it's true. You yeah. know, so it's like I have that. I have definitely have Gene because Gene, what does he like to talk about? He likes to talk about music and he likes to talk about poop and he likes to just say wild things. The fact that in the movie, he's so fascinated by this metal napkin holder that has a rubber band holding a, a spoon on each end, you know, and just the sound that's created with that. And he has this vision of the itty bitty ditty committee being this massive band, you know, like parliament. That's what I think about. <laughs> it is like parliament with the colors and the costumes and everything. Yeah. It, it's just like he has this otherworldly vision and he has this dream and he has this drive. And that's what I love so much about Gene is that he sees his future and he's going to take it. He's going to make that happen for him. You know, like if we fast forwarded, he would be doing great. You know, Louise, I mean, Louise is so good because she's so bad. You know, <laughs> Louise is like when I want to act out. And you know me, like when I want to act out, I really want to act out. Yes. And it's having a character that loves acting out as much as I do and getting to see her do all of these things without having any of the guilt, you know, is up my alley. Tina, oh man, I mean, yes, Tina. I mean, we both have Tina shirts on we right do. now, you know, and I can be really awkward. You know, again, it's like sometimes I'm super comfortable and it's all cool, but other times, like, I can't even say the name John, you know, <laughs> you know, like, it's just like it's in there, you know what I mean? And I just feel like 
like mega awkward um and and that's that's what i get and also what what i love about tina is she's like you know when you look at it she's the quiet one and she has in my opinion the richest fantasy life definitely and that's why i mean that's why i relate to her so much because i have always been fairly quiet i know nobody knows that from listening to the show because i am never shutting my mouth on here at all sorry john you have to deal with that but she does have like this rich fantasy life she's mostly in her head she's always thinking of you know stories and writing stories and fantasizing and all these types of things and you know she also has a major flair for the dramatic which i think you do as well oh my god so much (laughs) and you know i think that i mean that's her whole her whole story her like tina's story in the movie is all about that rich fantasy life and the fact that she's afraid that like she's not going to be able to find something in reality that can match up to her fantasy which is probably true because jimmy jr sucks it's hard because she loves him so much like you want it to be you know what she wants it to be and you wonder what will happen when they get older i mean jimmy pesto is not good And we've had so many moments with him being not good. We even have that one episode where Bob becomes friends with Jimmy Pesto. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, he's just not, he's just not the person that you want to be around. He's a tool. Jimmy Pesto sucks. And, I mean, the whole thing with it is that it's like a Romeo and Juliet star-crossed lovers thing Mm -hmm. with Jimmy Jr. and Tina because their dads hate each other and they have rival restaurants across the street from each other. But she has this huge crush on Jimmy Jr. But Jimmy Jr. is kind of, like, super shallow and all he cares about is dancing and tooling around with his best friend, Zeke, who I freaking love also. Yes. Um, but, you know, I don't think I don't think Jimmy Jr. is good enough for Tina. And I think pretty much everybody thinks that. Because one of my very favorite episodes is the one where boys for now are trying to audition a new singer. Because the, the uh, boo-boo has left the band. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and, well, everybody's upset about oh, it. I remember, I remember. And so they're auditioning singers. And Tina just decides she's, like, falling in love with this boy that she ran into outside who's going to be auditioning for Boys for Now. So she wants to dress up as a boy and go to the audition so that she can see this kid and, like, you know obviously they're going to fall in love with each other and it's going to be happily ever after because that's what Tina thinks with everything. But of course, while she's trying to get to that boy, she falls in love with like four other boys (laughs) and has a whole entire life planned with each of them, which I think is amazing and super me also. Like Tina is like, I think Tina is like demisexual because she can't like have a fantasy about someone without turning it into like an entire love relationship first. And then, you know, then they, you know, have something going, but also she can't limit herself to just one. The the best part of that. Uh, I mean, that was a great episode, but the last song in the episode is that the boys for now 
get Boo Boo back. And they're singing the song, The Right Number of Boys for You is Four, because it's Boys Four now. It's just four of them. And then we have this great fantasy sequence where Tina is singing, The Right Number of Boys for Me is More. And it's just like all these boys that she has this huge crush on, because Tina just can't settle right now on one. But I think every single person is just like, yeah, but Jimmy Jr. kind of sucks. And like Linda actually says in that episode, you know, they're saying, we love you. We love that you love all these boys. You know, we think it's great. Right, Bob? And of course, Bob's like, yeah, we think that's awesome because Bob does not think that at all. But then Linda's like, but we're not sure about that Jimmy Jr. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, darn straight, Linda. Because, I don't know, Jimmy Jr. just, he needs to come up if he's going to be good enough for Tina. Well, for me, the biggest thing is the overdramatic that that just came to mind when you were talking about that. It brought to mind, like, when I was a kid and I was just tooling around with a a driver in the backyard. You know, we had, like, some golf clubs. And so I'm just kind of half-assed, one-armed swinging this driver. And this ball took off like I've never seen, sailed up over my uh, neighbor's second floor porch and smashed their slider door. Oh, God. It went the whole way through. Uh, My immediate reaction to that was to scream, I'm doomed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes, indeed. Um, I I went, uh, I was with my friend Chris Olds. He loved that, by the way. He couldn't stop. And we, you know, ran into my house, you know, we were in the basement and we're, and I'm just like, we're not going to talk about it. You know, it's going to be okay. I was terrified. I thought I was going to jail, <laughs> you know, like I am, I am so extra, yeah, you know, that's... it's just in there. Well, the best part is the neighbor comes around <laughs> and, and like we could hear him at the door, but we were in the basement and I wasn't trying to listen. <laughs> my dad. My dad, you know, I go to him, uh, oh, hey, uh, what did our, our neighbor uh, Tom want? And he's like, uh, well, he came around. He said, uh, you know, he wanted to know if he, uh, if we saw anybody throwing golf balls. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And anyway, so I fessed up and it worked out. But, oh, and this is the last point on that, which is fully insane. When the golf ball, when I hit it and it went up over the railing of the porch, there was actually a cat on the edge of the porch it jumped off the edge of the porch this is a second floor porch and it was fine well cats can jump for a long way and still be okay it was amazing i was so happy the cat was made out of 50 percent elastic yeah it's a good thing yeah yeah i love that story because i love like imagining you yelling i'm doomed that's great but tina would definitely say that and then melt onto the floor underneath the, the dining room table and go, uh, for like 30 minutes. I wish I could be that subtle, you know? If I could learn that from Tina, I would love it. As an adult, I'm still like, oh my God, the plane has crashed into the mountain. Well, she kind of does that too sometimes. There's hyperventilating, there's like freaking out, there's like her ruining, ruining Louise's plans. Because she can't, like, you know, let something go. Like, she has to apologize or she has to fix something or whatever. And, yeah, I can I can relate. Like, I just, I can't break the rule in the first place. I wouldn't be able to. 
I mean, my sisters are kind of, can be, when they were younger, they were like troublemakers. Especially my one sister, Astra, was a super troublemaker. And, you know, I would just always be like, oh my God, with all the stuff that, that she would be doing. I was like, oh my God. Like, she would sell, you know how you have to sell stuff for school? Sure. She would go and sell all of it and then just never turn in the slip. <laughs> and I was just, like, having a heart attack because I was like, well, that that means you just, like, stole money from people. She's like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> and, of course, my parents had to fix it. But, like... I didn't sell anything anyway, because first of all, I was kind of like the chocolate war kids. I was like, no, you can't make me do this. Because um, I really was like anti-sales, which is hilarious now because I'm a sales manager and it's awful. Um, <laughs> yeah, I hate sales so much. And it's like, how in the absolute hell did I end up being a salesperson? It's gross. But yeah, I never sold anything in high school. I was like, I'm not, I can't be responsible for taking this money from people and like turning in all these forms and stuff, even though I'm super organized. But yeah, my sister just sold a bunch of cookies and all kind of stuff. I was just like, oh yeah, I never turned it in. <laughs> to use a super dated reference, um, when I was younger, they would give us a, uh, like a cardboard suitcase that had samples of all the things that we were selling. And I would go door to door and I would do a demo on every single product. I would take time. I would listen now for my dated reference. I was like Shelly, the machine Levine in his prime. I was like Ricky Roma, you know, I, uh, the characters from the David Mamet play, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, all about salespeople. I mean, I would, I would just really always go for it. And I always did great. So I enjoyed it. When I was younger, I loved sales. And, you know, I continued into sales when I was older. When I had my theater company, I would go and I would sell ads to people. Right. And really, what's an actor? It's selling yourself. You yeah, know? that's true. I mean, I think that it goes back to you being very much a gene because I feel like Gene has like that showmanship. You know, he I can see Gene being like, you know, some huckster, like trying to sell things to people. And he's like, you know, because he, he dresses up in the Beef Squatch outfit. Oh, Beef Squatch. And he goes out with his little keyboard and like does all these ditties and songs. And yeah fart noises or whatever you know to draw people in because he really does like to get that attention and he's kind of like the, the same thing he wants to sell and he feels good about it so yeah beef squatch is one of your favorite episodes i know oh i love beef squatch i mean that that again is peak acting out <laughs> like beef squatch <laughs> anytime i think about beef squatch i laugh you know him shoving all that food in his mouth rah, 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 rah. And just, I don't know. It's like he takes on this other personality. It's a lot like Cornholio from Beavis and Butthead. That's true. That's you know, very true. It's like, this is your chance to act out. And it's not really you because you're playing a character, you know? <laughs> so it, it's fun. Well, and again, it's like acting. When you get the chance to be someone super goofy, you have a blast. Yeah, it's it's fun. You just you know? have a good time. It's... 
you know, it's something that I always like doing. I, I like to play. I mean, with the sales, though, I got to be honest with you. I never, I, I never even would have dreamed of keeping the money. I was always like, I was seriously like a very like straight laced businessman. Like everything oh, yeah. was in order. I, I was like, I don't know. It was just like, I, I don't know. Like maybe in the twenties, I, I sold dictionaries door to door. Who knows? Bibles, Bibles whatever. I yeah. like, I would have done it. I think that that's like the one area of life where you are super organized. It's like, that's just the one. Every other, <laughs> every other moment you're just like, you know, in, in like a maelstrom of chaos. But not really. I mean, you keep things organized. You organize around our house and things like that. But I'm just saying, like, you know, w with paperwork, you're not a big fan of oh, paperwork. No. So this is like the one time that you would have been like, okay, I have this paperwork together. Well, when the paperwork makes sense to me, that's good. But when you have a bunch of boxes and dots and these little addendums and then it's in triplicate and then you have to write really small and you have to think a lot and you have to take out like all kinds of like supporting documentation i'm out well you're talking i think about doing our taxes which is when i turn into peak bob in life i mean once it's tax time i'm like singing a song about my diarrhea you know like Bob at the beginning of this movie. I can't, I, I do it, but I have to make a huge show out of it. Uh, how much I hate it. So <laughs> that's me bobbing hardcore. Well, the best part is that my father's name was John, but he went by Bob, you know? So everyone knew my dad as Bob and Bob was an accountant, you know? <laughs> so it's like when you talk about being like Bob, you know, <laughs> when you're being an accountant, I'm like, Oh my God, she's like my dad, bro. <laughs> we she's say like that all the dad. time. Yeah, we're always saying I'm like your dad with different things that I'm doing. Yeah, like the mustache yeah, and like the bald head, the bald head and the curly hair. You're like a huge Eagles aficionado, like my dad. That is true. Your dad though. loved the Eagles. My dad loved the Eagles. I, all I knew about was the birds. Oh wow! Yeah, there the was Eagles so are much. a type of bird. Ooh, but he also like iron butterfly. Oh, he's yeah. just a nature guy. He had a lot of things that he liked. He liked the animals. I mean, I'm seeing a theme here. <laughs> he liked the Rolling Stones. There's no, there's no, no animal there. No animal there. He liked the Beatles. the Beatles. That's a creature. Yeah. You know, he liked Janis Joplin. He he was like he was eclectic. He liked everything. But I'll tell you what he hated was jazz, and I adore jazz. And what's so funny about that is everyone says that jazz is math. And, and you love I, math, and you hate math. Correct. It's a conundrum. But I love jazz. So, yeah, that was that was kind of funny. That is funny. Right? You see how it all spins around in the <laughs> cosmic blender? It's like we're talking about Bob's Burgers, which is simply a cartoon show. But we go so deep with the show that it doesn't feel like it's just a cartoon. I had read somewhere that somebody wrote something like, that Bob's Burgers is like the best sitcom currently on television. And I fully agree with that because I don't really watch a lot of live action sitcoms anymore, whether it's because I don't have time or just I didn't feel interested or I haven't started. But I watch the crap out of Bob's Burgers. So that's probably why I don't watch many sitcoms because I'm too busy watching Bob's Burgers for the 150th time. It's, it's a good investment. It's a good time investment. Anytime I can spend with Teddy, 
<laughs> of course. I'm there. And like, who doesn't want acceptance like Teddy? Yeah. You know, well, maybe, yeah, of course. That's, you know, that's the biggest thing is Teddy just wants to be part of the team. You know, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I don't think I've ever had, you know, a, a couple where I, I wanted to, like, become, like, the third component in the couple. But I've definitely, you know, had friends where it's just like I wanted to be there. You know, oh, yeah. I wanted to be part of the fam, you know. When I was a kid, like, when I was, like, in first or second grade, um, I rode the bus to school. And, like, there was some girl that was maybe a year or two older than me. Who, for some ungodly reason, like I totally idolized and I wanted to be just like her. And she, of course, hated me because I was some loser first grader and she was in third grade. But like... Third grade. I mean, come on. (laughs) I just thought she was so cool. And I just was like following her around and doing all this kind of stuff. It's kind of like that one little girl character who is like obsessed with Louise Mm -hmm. on the show. Who I don't think was on uh, this movie. But, you know, I I can totally relate to that. I can go back in time in my head and remember what it was like that you just think this person is so great and you just want them to like you. And that's kind of poor old Teddy in a nutshell. You know, he just wants love. He wants to be loved, especially by Bob and Linda and the Belcher family. He wants to be part of the family. Well, and this movie also shows you that there are people that are just not going to accept you. For example person at the bank yeah they he, can't make him like them no. enough to extend their loan he's just not going to no and even after the business end of it is taken care of and they make the payment the person is still a jerk to them yeah yeah there's nothing they can do to make this guy okay it doesn't matter that they're super likable or that they're friendly or they bring him a burger he doesn't care he's just like kind of closed off it's too bad but let's yeah. talk about people that are completely different. The fish odors. Yes, the fish odors. I cannot believe that we have not even hit on the fish odors yet when the fish odors are an enormous part of this movie. Yeah. So Calvin Fish Odor is their landlord, the Belcher's landlord, and he's voiced by Kevin Klein, who is so good in this show that I forget that he's kind of done anything else ever. And I love Kevin Klein all the time. So, I mean, this is awesome. And then Zach Galifianakis plays his brother Felix, who is ridiculous and stupid. And then we also are introduced to a cousin, Grover Fishoder, who becomes very important as he is, you know, the murderer in the story um so we get you know i did say before like there's a lot of unfortunate omissions because you have to cut some things out in the movie but the fish odors who are some of our favorite characters in the show do appear quite extensively um as everything revolves around the octahorf reversary and that's the wonder wharf which is also owned by mr fish odor and, you know, Grover kind of wanted to take it over and turn it into his own kind of theme park thing. So it's a big part of this movie. Well, having Calvin Fish Odor in the film means you were going to have high stakes. Because anytime he shows up on the show is a time that you know you're in for a real event. Yeah. 
because there's always something, you know? I mean, there's always going to be a trouble in an episode that needs to be overcome. But when you bring in Calvin Fishoder, it's going to be over the top. It's going to be over the top. Like the time that he hired Bob's family for, was it Christmas or Thanksgiving? For the gingerbread house contest? That, yes, yeah. Yes, that was for Christmas. Yeah, like, I mean, that's nuts. Yeah. That's well, nuts. Well, because that, that's the thing. Like, the fish odors are this super, super, super rich family. And they have the eccentricities of the super rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this, we get to see that even a little bit more. Because, like, they have this big house, which looks like um, the Carson house in Eureka, which we actually just saw when we were on vacation. And that was really weird because we saw this, we saw Bob's Burgers movie when it came out in May. And then in August, we went and saw the different Victorian homes in Eureka, California, which are awesome. And then we watched this movie again and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like the fish odor mansion really looks like the Carson house. And I do think that's on purpose because one of the things that they talked about in the commentary is where this show takes place. Um, and we weren't sure. We kind of thought it might be like Rhode Island. I mean, they're near the ocean. Um, but I guess it's supposed to be kind of like New Jersey, but with the architecture of San Francisco. Um, and Eureka is in NorCal, like, you know, farther north than San Francisco. But it has like a lot of cool, like Victorian style homes as well. But that was pretty interesting. But then we also see in the movie that Felix lives in a tree house. That's, like, designed after a Victorian home as well. So he lives in this, like, majestic treehouse that the kids break into because they're kind of trying to solve the murder. Um, And they think that Felix is their key suspect at one point. So they break into his his treehouse, which is, like, better than our apartment times a million. I'd trade any day. Any day. And we also have, this is enormous that we learned from the commentary, is that the actual building where the Belchers live and Bob's Burgers is on the first floor is actually based on where Lauren Bouchard grew up in San Francisco. So there was not a restaurant, you know, on the first floor, but it is exactly the same layout. And he said that this is something that he always goes back to whenever people ask him blocking questions in the structure because he knows exactly where everything is. Yeah. And he recommends that other writers go with something that they know as well. Yeah. So that any time somebody says, well, should there be a closet here? Should there be this there? He can just think of this actual location and say, yes, you know, and then it gives him like a tangible frame of reference which I think is really a smart and easy thing to do that I never would have thought of myself. It's something I probably would have thought of, but I would have thought of it just because I thought it was easy. But I wouldn't have thought, oh, wow, by making it easy, you'll never forget. Well, one of the funny things is I write stories and one of my hugest challenges all the time because I'm not really good at this in my head. I'm not much of a sensor person. I don't really think about spatial arrangements and things like this. And so when I'm writing a story and I'm trying to talk just about one person going from one room to the other and taking something from the corner or whatever, it's like impossible for me to envision this. So I think that that would really help me if I 
dead model it around a real location. I'm going to try that and see if it eases my trouble at all. Yeah, I mean, that would be cool. Talking about money, one of the big things in the movie is they actually talked about some sequences that they could not include due to uh, budgetary yeah. restraints. And the best sequence that we saw, my favorite, is actually a history of the Wonder Wharf area and all the different names that it had over the years. And I think it went back maybe to like 1902. And... Every time that it was built, every few years, there was a disaster. There was a fire. There was a flood. There was something every single time. And it gave you a great rich history of the area. And it also sets up one of the biggest pieces in the second half of the film, which is this underground layer that the fish odors are in. And this underground layer, which is underneath the existing Wonder Wharf, is actually just this great bar room, you know, and they also have like a mini sub down there, <laughs> you know, and they have like these uh, these statues. I, I mean, it's it's just like this amazing lounge that they have. It's a clubhouse. The pipe organ. The pipe organ. It's a huge pipe organ, and yeah, the mini sub is. I guess it was a ride at one point, but they've like refitted it. And Calvin and Felix think that they're actually going to take the sub out, you know, and, and flee to Cuba to get away from the murder accusation. And it's hilarious because later on, after they, like, have all this conversation about this great sub, you know, Grover, who, you know, is holding everyone hostage at this point, you know, is making fun of it. And, and Bob is like, wait, you thought you were actually going to take that sub out? I don't know if that's seaworthy, you know. And Calvin is like, yes, in retrospect, we may have gotten too excited about the sub. <laughs> but that's like the thing with the fish odors is that they get excited about these weird things. And it's like their rich person eccentricity. And they like dig into it like super crazy hard, like the gingerbread contest. Mm-hmm. Well, the rule that they had in their family is that anyone convicted of a felony would not be able to receive an inheritance. And so this Wonder Wharf area and the buildings around it right now are presently with Calvin Fish Odor. And the reason for this murder is that Grover murdered a carney and wanted to pin it on Calvin. But, you know, just due to, I don't know, dumb luck, I mean the body actually ended up being buried and it ended up being buried right in front of Bob's restaurant and then paved over in the street. Yeah. So it's been hidden there this whole time, but now some kind of water main break happens and their huge sinkhole opens up. And that happens right after we go back to the sunny song, you know, after they had, the huge problem at the bank and they come up and Linda rallies Bob and they're feeling it and they've got the song and then you see this water spray and you see the sinkhole. So they do a great job orchestrating these massive ups and downs. We're always flipping the story in this. Yeah. And, you know, we haven't said this yet, but Grover Fishoder is played by David Wayne, who we know as a director primarily. You know, we have seen him acting before as well. And a lot of the dance numbers in this, um, 
were actually modeled on people dancing. The writer, the co-writer, Nora Smith, who works all the time with Lauren Bouchard, they actually showed a lot of video of her dancing. And that's something that the animators went with, and they made that dancing part of the film. Now, with David Wayne, when he finally reveals that he did commit this murder of this carny, he has this song and dance number. And we actually see the footage, you know, I'm guessing, you know, from his house of him dancing, you know, and, and playing the whole thing out. So really giving the personality to these characters physically is something that, that's wonderful about the film. And also with David Wayne's performance as Grover, it's very understated. Yeah. You know, this is a guy that's committed murder. You know, he, he wanted to pin this murder on his cousin so that he could inherit this land and he could go with this whole development project that he has. That's his big dream. And so now... Since the murder, the cat's out of the bag, he actually is going to kill Felix. He's going to kill Calvin. He's going to kill the Belchers. He's gone completely insane. Yeah, and it's it's funny because, like you say, it is really understated, mm -hmm. right? He's kind of this kind of goofy, geeky dude, and you would not think of him as being, like, so evil. No. But he starts out you know, committing this one act that's very evil by killing someone. Yeah. And then everything just starts to escalate because he's not achieved what he wanted to achieve through doing that. And it gets to the point where, you know, he does like he's, he uh, drops the sub with Calvin and Felix into the ocean. They're going to run out of air and die down there. Yep. And then in this great kind of chase scene, <laughs> under the wharf in like these old kind of bumper car type rides my favorite scene it's so well done it's so smart and it's it couldn't be in a show it's it has to be a movie scene they have this huge chase where the belchers are in this car that's shaved like a clam and and then uh grover is chasing them in a lobster shaped car and you know these are crappy little like bumper car type cars that they used to use on some old ride, but they kind of escape from the wharf. A hilarious scene is that they're driving in the sand, chasing each other, probably going like one mile an hour. It's horrible. <laughs> and then they manage to like, you know, go upstairs and kind of get away. But Grover catches up to them by like shooting a harpoon arrow into their tire. And then he pushes them into the sinkhole and then proceeds to cover them up with dirt. And they're like trapped in there. And, you know, while he's driving away, he's just like, okay, I'm just going to forget that ever happened. And it's kind of scary. Like he's kind of a scary character because his morality is so bruised, I guess, from all of the trauma he experienced as a, as a fish odor who wasn't like Calvin because mm -hmm. Calvin could just take advantage of anyone and it's fine and stuff like this. But I just don't, I don't know. I don't see Calvin being quite like this about killing someone, you know? No, he's blase about a lot of things, but this is a, a step beyond. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And we also haven't mentioned that Grover is actually going to blow up the entire Wonder Wharf. 
Yeah. You know, that's his plan. He has this fuse. He has it lit. He does say to the audience that, you know, there is no one there, so there won't be any casualties from it. But he's willing to just explode this massive structure. And even though you don't think there's anyone there, how do you know? There could be a stray cleaning person. There could be somebody walking by. You don't know how large that explosion is going to be so it's the roller skate guy and the speedo could be rolling by (laughs) it it could happen it could happen he feels like anybody that is in the way of his plan is expendable and it's their fault for getting in the way of his plan yeah that's that's all there is to it what we haven't talked about so far is the issues that the children have that are established at the beginning of the film and at the very beginning of the film, Louise is at school, and she's reading her Coochie Copy book. And some girls from school are playing, and they say, do this thing called a dead man drop. And it's basically you spin around a bar, and then you jump down. And, you know, they say that she doesn't want to do it because she's afraid, Louise is afraid that her hat's going to fall off. And Louise is a baby. So this is our entire trajectory for Louise, as she wants to prove that she is brave and prove that she is not a baby. Louise decides to go into the sinkhole and have Tina and Jean there as witnesses and to film it just to prove she's brave. Because Louise doesn't feel like herself anymore. She wants to prove that she is an adult. You know, in her, her mind palace, if you want to call it that, she talks to uh, Coochie Kopi and Melted Coochie Kopi. And she's like, you know, what can I do? And they give her this idea to go into the sinkhole. And so, you know, she goes with that. When she's climbing out of the hole, she pulls on what she thinks is a branch or a root. And actually, it's the rib of Cotton Candy Dan. And this, so the skeleton like falls on her, the teeth fall into her mouth. It's horrible. Yeah, I, I mean, it's completely crazy. Like, you have this really horror element again. I mean, we've already had a murder, and now we have a skeleton, and one of the teeth from this, this skeleton falls into Louise's mouth. And Louise actually keeps this tooth as a trophy. Yeah, and yeah. that's how she solves the murder. She's actually the one who solves everything in the end, because she has this tooth which has kind of a crooked kind of zigzag pattern on it Mm -hmm. and she realizes seeing a bite scar on grover's arm that he was bitten by cotton candy dan and this is you know who killed him so louise kind of ends up being the one who solves the mystery it's all her kind of driving that the whole time and it's all because she feels like she has something to prove um, because she's always thinks about herself as like a little badass, right? She's tough. You know, she loves hanging out with the biker gang that comes to eat at the restaurant. You know, she had that whole thing with Logan where he stole her bunny ear hat and she, you know, made his life a living hell. It's a great episode. But now these kids called her a baby and she's really starting to examine herself and wonder, like, you know, am I who I think I am? Just like you said. And so no other kid would go to all this trouble to, like, prove that they're tough except Louise. Because she's obsessed with proving how tough she is. And that's how she ends up, you know, solving the murder. It's fantastic the way that it unfolds. There's also some other pieces to it that, that we're not going to go into here with, like, a cuff link. But... 
you know, it, it's it's fantastic to watch this because it's like a Scooby-Doo episode. It's very similar to The Goonies because, mm. again, you know, one of the writers, Nora Smith, talked about how she liked The Goonies and how, in many ways, this story, this mystery story, was like The Goonies. And George and I had just seen The Goonies again. We actually, George saw it for the first time in the theater this yeah. past weekend. And so it's very fresh in our minds when we when we watch this. And the comparisons are amazing. So here we go. Number one, in the Goonies, the parents are going to lose the house because they don't have money. What happens? The kids go and they find a treasure. And they're able to get some of that treasure out and give to their parents so they can keep the house. Everyone is safe. No one is going anywhere. That is number one. The next thing that we have is we have the mini-sub. Now, the mini-sub and the ship, you know, the pirate ship that One-Eyed Willie has, they're two different things, but they're similar. You know, it's a sea vessel. When you take a look at the mini-sub and the Bob's Burgers movie, the way it's set off, it looks very similar to this large open cave where you actually see One-Eyed Willie's pirate ship. You know, it gives you, for some reason, that that's the same thing that I thought about. Like, there was a connection there. You know, also to get to this underground layer with the fish odors, they actually have to go down like a slide, which is something the Goonies have to do to get down into these tunnels. We also have a skeleton, which is found in the Goonies. And what is the name of that? Chester Copperpot. Chester Copperpot. And Cotton Candy Dan. Thank you. See, I can never remember either of those. <laughs> Thank you for being my wife and best friend. So, I mean, you, you have that. And you also just have these kids going off on their own to solve this. You know, in Bob's, you know, we do see that the parents come to help. And it's, it's hilarious because, you know, when Gene, Tina, and Louise are down there underground, you know... <laughs> Bob and Linda, you know, come down to help and they come down this slide and they're just immediately, you know, subdued and they're just hostage with their kids. You know, they did absolutely nothing. Like no. their big entrance is just like, man. That's crap. But like the best part of that to me is that to get into this, to get the slide activated, you have to punch all these buttons and one of them says like ouchies <laughs> because Felix thought that nobody would push the ouchies button. And of course... Gene had to push all the buttons. And then we cut to, uh, when we see Linda and Bob come down, we do a cut back to them standing up there with the, with the, the control panel. And Linda has to punch all the buttons because she's just like, definitely Gene's mother. <laughs> I love that. We also have in the Goonies, there's this whole bit where they're at this shack and they're saying it's a restaurant. And like Corey Feldman you know, is like trying to order all these great Italian dishes, you know, and it's just like, okay, so we have the restaurant connection as well. In Goonies, the kids are always going around on their bikes everywhere that they go. And in this, the kids are, are doing the same thing. The organ, which is down underground, is very similar to the skeleton organ that is in Goonies. And the Goonies, they need to play a skeleton organ in order to open up a passageway to the next section of tunnels. Mm, yeah, there was the skeleton organ and the pipe organ here. Right. I mean, this didn't open up any secret passages. But we kept thinking it would. We kept <laughs> thinking what actually opened a secret passage, you know, for the Belchers to escape. 
uh, were the nipples of some Greek statue. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. had to tweak the nipples of this merman, you know, to to get out uh, of this of this underground layer. But I feel like Teddy is like our stand-in for Sloth because Sloth comes in on the pirate ship and he saves the day. And in this, Teddy is there and he actually opens up this clamshell car that you the know the family's guy. trapped in. Yeah, let's talk about that scene actually to wrap things up. Because I think that that scene is kind of the most important thing that happens in the movie. Um, and I also think that it's very scary. Um, so basically they drive this clamshell into the sinkhole. Or they get pushed in the sinkhole by Grover. And then he covers them up with dirt. So they're basically buried alive in this small, you know, sealed vehicle yeah. with no air. And there's five of them in there. And it's pretty terrifying. Like, when we first saw this in the theater, I got very claustrophobic when we were watching the scene. Because they're trapped in there. And they can't get out. And they don't really have light. You know, the Coochie Copy doll keeps lighting up and then going out. Mm-hmm. And in this scene, which is like maybe five minutes of the movie, maybe even less, so many things are worked out um, over that have been happening over the course of the film. And, you know, one of them is Bob kind of turning toward optimism, um, which we've discussed already. And then the other thing is Louise's resolution of her bravery, whether she's brave or not. And that's kind of been her whole deal the whole time, is that she wants to be brave, but she doesn't think that she is because she has, like, the security blanket of her bunny ear hat. And her memory of when she started wearing it is that she had to have it on her first day of preschool because she was so scared. Um, And this whole time, she's been making up this bravery narrative about herself not being brave because of that. And then it turns out that that's a false memory. Because actually, her parents tell her, no, you were nervous about going for your first day of preschool, but you went. And then when you came home, you know, we kind of have made you this to celebrate because it's like Bob's mother, Bob's mother, who we've never seen before. So this is an introduction to uh, Bob's mom. And this is a very emotional scene, I think, that he's remembering her because the Bob's mom passed away before Louise was born and she never got to meet her. Um, but she would always wear this pink kind of hat, like knit cap, so that she didn't have to do her hair. <laughs> And so they used that or they made a pink hat uh, for Louise. And that's the hat, you know, that Louise has been wearing this whole entire time. We've never seen her bareheaded without it. She didn't have the ears for a while at one point because they were stolen. But she always had a hoodie on in that episode. So, you know, it is something that's like a trademark for her. And it is something that she has kind of had a security blanket type attachment to but after she finds out that it wasn't necessary for her to have she kind of can let go of it and she ends up you know after she hears the story and she understands you know that it wasn't you know her security blanket in the first place Mm -hmm. she uh, is able to do the dead man's drop and her ears fall off and she doesn't care yeah. Although Mr. Frond, the guidance counselor, thinks that, you know, it's going to be a complete meltdown and he's ready to spring into action with all of his puppets. 
<laughs> Mr. Fraud is a great character too. Um, but yeah, so it's just, it's really a nice resolution. And we get introduced to Bob's mom, which is really sweet. And again, like that's something I like about this, the show and this movie is that, you know, it always does come back to like this family and this family loving each other and being able to solve their problems or get through, you know, tough times because they love each other so much. Yeah. And it's great. It's great. I mean, I really am happy that we have a different story for this hat, that the, this hat was created out of love, that these bunny ears were placed on the hat because again, it's just, it's love. The, these things are there and it's, it's something meant to make Louise feel good. And it's meant to be a deeper connection for the family. And it's funny how sometimes in life, when we look back, we remember things in a way that are negative. Yeah. When they were completely wrong. Totally wrong. You, you think of something, you think you know what happened, but you don't. And you've colored it because of your own low self-esteem issues or, you know, whatever. But the truth is totally different. And, you know, when you talk to your family and, like, they explain it, you know, in this, that's what happens with Louise, it kind of resolves everything for them. And then... You know, we have a resolution for Gene and Tina as well. Gene uh, gets to open for Jimmy Jazz Hands or Johnny Jazz Hands. They get to open for Johnny Jazz Hands at the Octa Wharf anniversary. Yeah, that, that's right. And, you know, Gene gets to have this Parliament-like dream. You know, at the beginning of the film, he actually is concerned that he is not good and he doesn't have any musical talent anymore. Because when he has this dream of performing, he imagined this he imagines the spaceship coming down and the, this robot alien getting out and saying, don't play another note. You're not good. So it actually puts doubt in Gene and to see, you know, his faith renewed in his talent, which we know he has because we see it in every single episode is wonderful. And also with Tina, you know, she has her concerns in her fantasies, you know, about how to make it perfect or, you know, in real life, am I ever going to be able to live up to this fantasy that I have? She's able to, to you know, sit back and enjoy it. And we have a nice after credit scene where she's with Jimmy Jr. on a horse on the beach, you know, very similar to where we saw her at the beginning with Jimmy Jr. But this time she's got Jimmy Jr. on the horse with her. And also they have zombies yeah, on either side of the zombie horse. boys, I guess, <laughs> in addition to that. But, you know, she's kind of given up on the idea of having her summer boyfriend of Jimmy Jr. Yeah. And she had her barrette on a chain that she was going to give him. Right. And she threw it away. Yeah. And, you know, she had decided it wasn't worth it. It wasn't going to happen. And then she got worked up and worried that a fish might choke on it because it's Tina and I would do exactly the same thing. Hmm. Um, but then it turns out that Jimmy Jr. has found the necklace and thought that it reminded him of her because of the barrette, because it is hers. And then, you know, they decide to be summer boyfriend and girlfriend and they kiss. So she's happy. And the, I think the end credit sequence is meant to show us that even if Tina's reality doesn't live up to her fantasy, it doesn't preclude her from continuing to have fantasies. And that's, you know, what Tina needs for her rich fantasy life. I mean, there are just so many characters. Like, I can understand why they had a hard time fitting all the characters into the story. Because in this podcast, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to wrap it up. And they're like, wait, we haven't talked about Carniopolis. 
and we haven't talked about Mickey, and we haven't talked about those numbers. Okay, I give up. There's so much. It's great. Yes. It's you great. Can, I just don't think you can discuss every single thing that you want to discuss in this. And I kept thinking the same thing. I'm like, don't forget about Lucky Ducks, because Lucky Ducks is a great musical number. Yes. I don't really know what to say about it at this point, because <laughs> I'm delirious with sweat from recording a podcast in our closet for two hours. But, like... Carniopolis is like a whole new area that we've never explored. Mm-hmm. You get Mickey, who's a fun character. They're playing Lucky Ducks, but they're playing at Carney rules. That's good. And then they do like a huge musical number with this amazing dance sequence. And we watched a feature on that being animated, which is like mind, like mind blowing. Right. So yeah, again, buy this so that you can watch the features because I can't say enough how worth it it is. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Zeke is great. I love Zeke. We all love Zeke. Zeke is just like that friend you had when you were younger that just had like a, a lot of like Field and Stream magazines from his dad. <laughs> and it was awesome. You know, he would always have a lot of firecrackers. He's like a redneck, like wrestling kid. Like, I mean, I, Zeke is amazing. He's like a young Danny McBride is one I get out oh of Oh my it. God, that's really on point. Yeah, isn't that awesome? I would love to have Danny McBride as my childhood that friend. That is perfect i've never thought about it before but you just nailed it boom we also have bosco we have gary cole oh, bosco. you know bosco at this point is actually working for robbery you know and you know he says sometimes the homicide guys ask him to do something and so you kind of feel like bosco's down on his luck and at the end of the story you know bosco is first on the scene so it's like bosco has got his honor back and with bob and linda in the restaurant you know, they don't pay off everything that they own to the bank in total, but Fish Odor gives them enough money to make their payment for the month. Yeah. So they're still on the hook, even though they have, you know, saved the Fish Odors. Literally saved their lives by going get them out of this, like, under underwater sob. It's worth one payment, and also, you know, the Itty Bitty Diddy Committee gets to play at the Octa Wharf Aversary. And Calvin and Felix are in the band, actually. And that organ is brought up yeah. and, and that's that's what calvin's playing right it's awesome yeah and then felix is doing a horrific dance and it's great <laughs> dancing so it's like great, a though. white lamb vest on or something <laughs> felix's outfits are perfect but i think we've you know we've gushed enough about how much we love this movie and the show and you know it just again it doesn't get old i'm so happy to have a movie of this amazing property and these characters that I love, I really hope they get to do another one. Yes. Maybe this one can center around Linda's sister, Gail, who I love. Oh, the fact that Gail and Mr. Business weren't in this breaks my heart. Yeah, I know. Gail and Mr. Business are so amazing. I love them. But yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully they get to do another one. I, I just think that it's so worth it. It's so wonderful. And I just love these characters. Can't wait for an, another month to go by so I can see... Um, the premiere of season 13 and I'm just I just love it it's great and I'm really glad we picked this movie because I love Bob's Burgers it's a fantastic show it's a fantastic movie I love the creative team behind this I love the imagination I love the technical know-how you know I mean this has been an absolute great ride and this film takes place the last week of school. So this is like May, you know. It's like first week of summer. Yep. 
you know, there's like, it's like all this possibility of summer mm-hmm. and, you know, that energy carries you through the whole movie. Yeah. It, it's, it's what we like to see in a movie. It's yeah, what the, we'd like to see. Just all the heart. Yeah. It's so much heart and so much hope. Yeah. And love. And it's just great. Yeah. This has been a great one. All right, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us <laughs> through all this. Yep. Uh, <laughs> hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you enjoyed Bob's Burgers movie. Um, and we will see you next week um, to wrap up our Summer and Sand series what will it be what will the movie be there's gonna be a lot of sand i'll tell you that there will be a lot of sand. think about sand Mm. meditate on sand (laughs) and you might figure it out Uh, but until then stay comfy stay comfy everybody